Thank you for joining me again. This is Yami Virgen with Sinclair Broadcasting in San Antonio, Texas. We are one week away from the end of the policy, the health policy known as Title 42. One week away from that. And of course, we have a very special edition of Immigration Crisis, the fight for the southern border. Now, one of the people we are talking to today is an ex-director of ICE and also a former chief of the Border Patrol here in Texas. He is not only concerned about what's going to happen on the 21st of December when Title 42 ends. That policy would send back people asking for asylum here in the United States to Mexico, where they would have to meet certain requirements to then be allowed into the country. So the problem now is not only that they're concerned about the number of people that are gonna be coming to the border, but also the emotional and the psychological effect of dealing with so many people and having to work long hours, and especially hearing some of the stories, seeing the children, seeing the people that are injured, it's it's a big deal for border patrol agents they are not robots they're human beings so the former head of ice is going to talk to us about that and also we're going to talk to the man that's in charge of the del rio sector for border patrol that is chief owens let me ask you the interest that you all get from all over the world people wanting to know what do they ask you what do the reporters from all over the world ask you when they call you well right off the bat they a lot of them ask is it true you know is are things really uh, this busy down on the border uh, we've had people not just uh, journalists but but we've had people from New York City we've had uh, different uh, congressional delegations from from all over the country that come down to to see for themselves what's actually happening you know is it as busy as is being portrayed and and so yeah the first the first answer is it is very busy and uh, is it a humanitarian crisis is another question that, that we get asked and Absolutely, it is a humanitarian crisis. Are, are we seeing people that are being put into harm's way that are, that are taking that irregular migration route? Yes, uh, I've said this from the beginning. As soon as they leave their homes and they put themselves in the hands of these smugglers and these cartels, they are in harm's way. Uh, we, the most visible part here in Del Rio sector, of course, are the drownings and the people that we find locked in containers and, and, uh, and in the desert. But make no mistake about it, at all points along the way, they're, they're in danger. So it, it is a humanitarian crisis because of the lives that are being put in danger at the hands of the cartels and from the people that, ha that have died. I, I expect when the numbers come out for this fiscal year that our deaths in the Del Rio sector alone are going to be well over 250. 250 people died that we know of. And this does not count the numbers that the government of Mexico found. This does not count the numbers that other uh, authorities have found. This is just what the United States Border Patrol has found, either in the river, in the deserts, or in the containers that, that, we've, uh, that we've found the migrants that have died trying to make this journey to cross the border illegally. What are you ending up, and I'm going to start at the end, tell us about this year. What did you end up with? What I know that it's still preliminary, but what is the difference between this year and last year? And last year, you and I talked about yeah. this. 
So what's the difference? So and when the numbers finally come out, I expect that those numbers will be between 470,000 and 500,000 apprehensions that the Del Rio sector made this fiscal year. So we're just waiting on those numbers from September to, to come in and tally to, the, uh, to the, the entire fiscal year. What's significant about that is that is more than any other sector in the country this past fiscal year, we, we beat uh, sectors like San Diego, Tucson, RGV, El Paso, and we're a small sector with, with, with small communities. The previous fiscal year, in fiscal year uh, 2021, and remember you and I had talked, uh, we apprehended 259,000 and change. And that was a record-breaking year for us, so much so that it was more than the previous nine fiscal years combined in terms of apprehensions. And we nearly doubled that this year. That's how busy this sector has been. When we talked last year, did you imagine you were going to have the year that you had in 2022? Not to this degree. Uh, we all expected that it was going to be very busy. Uh, we, we, the, the indications were that the, the flow was going to continue to increase and it was going to continue here in the Del Rio sector, particularly in Eagle Pass. But quite honestly, you never really know uh, what, what you're going to see, what, what the, the full extent is going to be. So this was a, this was a very trying year for us. Uh, you know, not just from an operational standpoint, but you know, from a, a morale standpoint, from a, from an emotional standpoint. You, you know, all the other things that took place this past year too. Uh, I feel like the men and women here at this sector have uh, have have proven themselves in so many ways. They, they've done uh, uh, such a wonderful job, not just trying to get out there and keep everybody safe, the lives that they've saved, but also the humanitarian side. You know, I, I, the things that I get to see every day, what these men and women do in service to their communities and to the migrants that are coming across. That for me, uh, and I, I say this all the time, oftentimes in the face of the most dire circumstances or, or, or the worst conditions, you see the very best in people. And that never fails to happen when it comes to the men and women that wear this uniform. Talk to us about the difference. I mean, we ended the year with thousands of people from Haiti trying to cross through your sector, mm -hmm. and now that has changed. The face of who's coming through has completely changed. It has, uh, and if you talk to different sectors, you're going to hear different demographics are, are crossing because of the pipelines and the routes that are established. When we finished off fiscal year 21, it was predominantly Haitians that, uh, that, that were coming across in this sector. That transitioned away from uh, folks from Haiti and to now we see predominantly people from Venezuela, Cuba, and Nicaragua. And most recently we've started to sh see a shift from uh, here on the part of the Venezuelans over to El Paso. So the majority of what we see now are the Cubans and Nicaraguans that are, that are coming through this area. We still have people from you know, the Northern Triangle countries. We still have people from Mexico. And in fact, this past fiscal year we had people from 118 different countries cross illegally uh, through the Del Rio sector, but the, by far the predominant uh, demographics that we saw were people from the uh, countries of Cuba, Venezuela, Nicaragua, and mostly single adults. If you talk to RGV, for example, they have a much higher incidence of family units and unaccompanied children. We do have family units and unaccompanied children, but far and away the largest demographic that we had were single adults. That change that you're seeing, especially with Venezuela and Colombia, what is going on? What is the message that they're getting that they're coming this way now? 
and we know what's going on in the country, especially with Venezuela, you know, what's going on with their government right mm -hmm. now. But what has, what has switched? What are they telling you when they come here? Well, they, word of mouth is, is a powerful tool among any population, but also among the migrant population. So you have folks that have crossed through this area that are coming from those countries, and, and they talk to their friends and family back home who are also thinking about making that journey, and they, they'll tell them, hey, it was, it was quick, it was easy, it was safe. Whether that's true or not, that's the message that's being delivered, and that tends to bring people uh, this way. And the perception is that uh, that they're going to be released in short order, and they can they can continue to travel into the into the United States. That uh, that it is safe because there's not as much cartel activity here in this particular area of the border. What they can't know, and what they don't say, is. It is extremely dangerous no matter where you try and cross. The, the, the best way to come across and come into the United States as a migrant is the legal way because you're not in the hands of the cartels. You're not in the hands of the smugglers that we've all seen abandon them in the middle of the desert. We've all seen get into high-speed chases and crash and kill people. We've all seen these folks extort these migrants for additional money. Do you know, I was just talking to the, uh, the consulates from Mexico, El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras, and we were having a discussion about the deaths that we've, that we've seen this past, this past fiscal year. We went out to the, the cemetery in Maverick County where some of the ones that we have not been able to identify are buried. It's, very, uh, that's a, it's a very stoic place. It's, a very, it's, it's hard to, uh, to look at. And uh, talking to them, they have had families that have come to them and said, we've been extorted for money, for more money, so that our loved one can be released. In some cases, it's been for the better part of a year. When the smuggler knew all along that that migrant had perished out in the desert months ago, that's the kind of callous individual that exists that, that trades in human lives, that is a, a smuggler, that's a human trafficker, knowing that this person has died to still go out and extort that family who lost somebody that was dear to them and continue to extort them for money for months on end. That's who we're up against. That is our adversary. And it's not just our adversary. It is your adversary. It is the American people's adversary. It is the adversary to the migrants because they are the ones that pose the biggest threat to those folks. When, and you just mentioned that, how many do you really identify out of the ones that you get, out of the migrants that die, how often do you, are you not identifying someone and there's probably a family wondering what happened to them? Well, so, and this is another aspect of the Border Patrol that a lot of people aren't aware of. We actually have a program called the Missing Migrant Program, and we dedicate agents to that task. Nobody else does this. Uh, th there is not an effort done uh, in, in Mexico that I'm aware of. There is not an, uh, an effort that's done uh, by the other than the medical examiners and, and the local police departments, but we bridge that gap where we try and get the, the, the biometric data from the individual that's passed and we work with the government of Mexico, we work with the state and local authorities so that the families can at least have closure. And these folks that are, that are, that are part of this missing migrant program, they do this not for any extra pay, they do it voluntarily because this matters to them. And some of the things they have to see and deal with on a day-to-day -day basis just to give that family closure, just to be able to return their loved one home to them in some cases. 
you're, you're talking about somebody that has to go and see people that have been deceased for long periods of time, try to get identification, fingerprints, anything that's on them to help try and make that, uh, that identification. We're not able to do it all the time. Sometimes uh, the, the person is too far gone. Uh, sometimes we find uh, folks that are out in the desert, for example, that it may just be skeletal remains and, and nothing else. And so there are times when nobody is able to identify that person and unfortunately that family is left forever wondering what happened to their loved one and, and where they are and they will never get that closure. How do you quantify that or how do you, how do you tell somebody or explain to somebody what that does to a family, what that does to uh, an individual to not know? So that's a very important program for us because we see this each and every day and you can't help when you're seeing these tough situations but put yourselves in that place and, and see it. One, if it was your loved one that was in that, uh, in that position, you would hope somebody would do that for you. And that's what these men and women that are part of this program have been doing. And this program's been around for years. It doesn't get talked about. Talk to me about this year. If you're looking at a timeline, and I know you start your fiscal year in October, mm -hmm. but if we're talking from the beginning of this fiscal year, talk to us about the timeline. When when did you see the waves? What were the waves? When were the lulls? Well, that that's a <laughs> that's another thing that I would, in times past, be able to tell you. Well, typically in the holidays we'll see a lull, and and typically after the holidays we'll start to see an increase, and in, in the later summer months, that's not the case anymore. It is just the the valve is open all the time. Uh, so we're not necessarily seeing those those trends. It's just 24-7 ongoing. Whereas, and I'll, and I'll tell you, uh, just from having done this job for, you know, going on three decades now, the, uh, I believe it's because in times past when I was out on patrol in, in the 90s, and, you know, we would have mostly single adult males that would cross from Mexico and economic migrants, and they would work and they would send money home. And the holidays, they'd, they'd go back home. And then right after the holidays, they'd come back again. And so that kind of drove those patterns that we talked about. That's not the case right now. That's not what we're seeing. We don't just see uh, economic migrants. We don't just see, we're seeing folks that are uh, asylum seekers. We're seeing folks that are coming because they have an intention of staying here. They want to they come and move here. And those are the ones that we're talking to saying, this country needs immigration. Nobody argues that point. Uh, it needs to be done in a safe and orderly manner. And uh, it's not worth it to you to put yourselves in harm's way and risk your life or the life of your loved ones to go this route. And we're saying that because we've seen uh, what happens. But to your original point, that I think that's why we don't see those traditional traffic patterns that, uh, that, that you're talking about where in the holidays it might drop and then afterwards it picks up. When did you start seeing the Venezuelans, the numbers of Venezuelans going up? It was early last year. Early last year, we started seeing, uh, particularly, not just the Venezuelans, but the, the folks coming from Cuba and from Nicaragua as well. Those three, for the past, uh, well, the better part of last fiscal year, were, were our predominant demographic. Um, the new patterns, especially for the Cubans. Hmm. So I guess word got out that the Darien jungle wasn't necessarily where you want to go, yeah. but what is allowing them now to go directly into Nicaragua to then make their way up? Well, so, and, and you and I had talked about that, uh, that, that Darien Gap, both you and I have been down in that area, and it, is, it, it was an exceedingly dangerous place, and I understand yeah, it still is. It's been some time since I've got to, I've got to go down there. But 
the transnational criminal organizations, the cartels, and I was just reading a uh, uh, Center for Immigration Studies uh, article about that, and they, they talked about uh, you're seeing a shift from narcotics over towards the human smuggling and human trafficking side. Why? Because they see that as a huge, very lucrative source of income. And so they look at the migrants like they would anything else as a product, as a commodity. And they establish pipelines that facilitate the movement of that commodity. And so you see that being facilitated and, and it's making it easier for these folks to, uh, to get to these spots where they can actually get to the border and, and make the entry. But all the while, as I said, they're in the hands of, of, these, uh, of these criminals. And it talked about how uh, so much money is going into the hands of these criminals because of this, of this human trafficking, human smuggling. We're talking estimated of billions of dollars a year that then goes to the hands of these cartels who then use it for uh, bribes, to purchase weapons, to purchase narcotics, to destabilize the communities that are, that are on the south side uh, in Mexico, that uh, we're actually funding an adversary that is causing the problem that we're seeing at the border by letting this human trafficking, this human smuggling take place. It's, we estimated this last fiscal year on a weekly basis in the Del Rio sector alone, upwards of $35 million a week in revenue just in human smuggling. And that's, that's in this little sector. Imagine what it looks like across the entirety of the border and into the interior and other countries where these folks are coming from. Wow. What is your mission? Do you write the laws? And I've asked you mm -hmm. this before. Yep. Do you write the laws? <laughs> so no, we don't. And 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 uh, you know, just by way of level setting on a, on a, on a civics level, we you know we are part of the executive branch. Our job is to enforce the laws, uh, the laws that are written and enacted by Congress, and then interpreted by the judicial branch. So our our function is simply to enforce the laws that the American people charge us with enforcing. Our mission is border security. Our mission is to keep bad things and bad people from coming into this country illegally that would do it, its people, and our way of life harm. By nature of the fact that we are here on the border, we also have an immigration mandate. But it would be a mistake to let those two issues be conflated into one. They are completely separate. When we talk about the influx or the humanitarian crisis impacting the border security mission, that's because when we're dealing with this humanitarian crisis, when we are dealing with the, the influx coming across our borders, we can't be out on patrol doing the border security mission. And that comes to the detriment of everybody else in this country who depend on us to keep those bad things and bad people from coming in. So that's, we will always do a humanitarian mission. We will always be there to try and do our best to help folks that are, that are in harm's way. I've seen it, uh, I've talked to you about it before. I've seen men and women in this uniform mixing formula, uh, changing diapers of unaccompanied children, bringing toys from home uh, and to give to the kids, uh, clothing, you name it. And they do this because they're human beings and, and they care, and that will always be the case. But the American people have a U.S. Border Patrol for a specific mission and purpose, and I believe they want us out there doing that mission and serving that purpose. And as long as we have this humanitarian uh, uh, crisis to deal with, we're not going to be able to fully engage in that. Who gets to stay and who gets to leave right now? 
where you're at right now? So for us right now, and that, that's a great question because I think it's one that needs to be uh, needs to be clarified as well. Everybody that we encounter, we are arresting. We are taking into custody, whether they are giving themselves up or whether we are having to actually pursue and, and capture them. We are obligated to uh, intervene when we see a violation of law occur. So when somebody crosses the border, we are obligated to take them into custody because at that point we believe they have committed an incursion and entered the country in violation of law at a point other than the port of entry. Okay. When that happens, that person is afforded due process. We are not judge, jury, and executioner. We are not able to just say, nope, you have to go back, because then we would be denying them their due process. They get their day in court, whether that be before a criminal judge or before an administrative immigration judge. They are afforded that due process. And so they get entered into the system, and they are transferred from our custody over to ICE ERO, where under normal circumstances, they would be held until their court date. And at that court date, the judge would decide, do they have the right to remain in this country or not? If they do, they stay. If they don't, they're removed back to their country. Ronald Vitello is the acting chief of the U.S. Customs and Border Protection Service. Retired acting ICE director and former Border Patrol chief, Ron Vitello. The amount of stress that Border Patrol agents are under, especially right now, you have the high numbers, you have children coming through, and it just seems like there's no no end in sight. That stress is enough to worry you, to worry your wife that you guys are helping put on an event for the Border Patrol agents down in the Del Rio sector, correct? That's correct. We're being helped by and, and being led at the Responder Readiness Workshop by First Help. Um, also helping sponsor is the Stronger Families Group, uh, the 100 Club of San Antonio, and my wife's organization, the Border Patrol Agent Family Network. The idea here is to gather uh, some of our agents and their families uh, to walk through the workshop, try to give them skills, uh, talk about the problem of suicide. CBP has lost 14 law enforcement officers since January this year. Um, and so it's a big problem. And we think that there's, uh, there's the workshop is important so that people can come, they can attend, we can highlight the issue, um, and then there'll be resources provided. There'll be people, there'll be providers there uh, that'll be willing to help them through this time. And it, and it is a very stressful time. I mean, they're, they're seeing unprecedented levels of activity on our Southwest border. Um, and in some ways, you know, that, that it's, you know, these are law enforcement professionals are really good at what they do. Um, but they come to the job to help protect us, to patrol the border, uh, to make seizures of drugs, to stop smugglers, to save people that are in distress, to save people from human traffickers. And they're not really allowed to be doing that work. They're, they're, instead of you know, doing the paperwork, uh, maybe 15, 10% of their time, they're spending 90, 95% of their time doing paperwork versus being out there uh, patrolling the border. For you personally, do you think you will ever see a solution to the problem within the next two years? Or are we going to have to wait for another presidential election to come through to see if it becomes a top priority? Even though we're talking about it, even though all the polls show that people 
their number one of their number one concerns next to the economy is immigration. Do you think we're ever going to see that? I don't think it's going to be short term. I mean, the, the, the legislature has the role to fix and reform and enforce to make sure that the, that the executive is held to account for enforcing the uh, enforcing the laws of the border. But this administration has made policy changes that they've they've been unable to reverse, uh, given the margins in the Senate, given the margins in the House, um, and so that you know, the, the the thing, the tools that are in place are ineffective. Um, so I don't believe that the policies will change. Uh, until we have a new leader in the White House that, that cares about securing the border. It seems like we don't have that now. Out of all the years that you have done this, what is the worst incident you have seen that has stayed with you? Well, on more than one occasion, uh, I've, I've been you know, witness and participant as a first responder when people were crossing the border um, and you know they, they, they fell in distress. Um, you know, in, in, in a couple of cases, I, I watched my colleagues and myself uh, rescue people, but in some cases, people didn't make it. And that, that's a that's a very difficult thing to see. I've seen people injured in, in you know, trying to cross the border, um, people falling off of freight trains. It's, it's, a, it's a very deadly environment. It can be a very deadly environment sometimes. You know, these smugglers, when they bring people across the border, they, they have very little regard for their health and safety. Uh, and it's the Border Patrol that is is there as the first responder. Um, our government, the Border Patrol, makes enormous investment in resources to, to, to train, you know, officers who are certified as EMS first responders. Um, and in a, in a tactical sense, they, they spend time on reviewing, especially, in, you know, during the, the, the extreme heat in the summertime. Uh, they deploy purposefully to try to help rescue people and have done so in, 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 in many, many ways. Um, but yeah, seeing that it, it, it's difficult, uh, you know, it, it, and it didn't get easier. You know, I saw it as a young agent, uh, maybe not as often as I did it as 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 a leader later on. But uh, yeah, it's it's very difficult for uh, our men and women out there to see that and go through that kind of stress. You can imagine that the the last couple of years that they've gone through. You know, we went through the pandemic, and you know they were forced to go to work and interact with people from the third world. Um, and then go home to their families. Just imagine how stressful that was uh, for agents and their families not really knowing. Remember in the early days of the pandemic, nobody really knew when the end of the beginning was going to start. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, the, the job can, uh, you know, in and of itself, it's risky. Mm -hmm. uh, but the things that you see and, and some of the things that they've had to deal with over the last several years uh, have made it much worse. And let me ask you one more time this, just in case. One of the things that I remember the most out of all the times, and I go to the border several times a month, you know, to work on stories or I'm talking to people who are down there, either sheriffs, police officers, you know, National Guards. One of the things that I remember is going back and I ended up doing a story uh, in Germany and I actually also went to Croatia as part of a fellowship that I did on immigration and we went to the croatian serbian border with one of the heads of that sector and to me what was amazing was the amount of technology that they have between those borders you cannot step within a certain amount of you know distance that they are not already watching you they can see you there are sensors i mean they don't send anyone out 
until those sensors go off or they pick up something from thermal cameras and their border is completely covered. Have you, what can we do? It just seemed like they were so much more advanced. And I never in my wildest dreams thought Germany and Croatia would be more advanced than the United States. Yeah, it, yeah, we, we really have, you know, a a laydown and, and a solution. You know, like when I was in the Border Patrol, we wrote plans, you know, to install technology to have sufficient number of agents access to the border. Uh, and that exists in some locations along our southwest border, but there are many locations where, you know, the technology is insufficient. Um, and it's done sort of the old fashioned way. It's men and women out there, you know, you know, they're the human sensor. They're out there, you know, protecting and patrolling. And so, yeah, this, this is, again, this is a matter of, of reform in the sense that, you know, we need to assure the American people that those borders are secure. And, and what that takes in, in those plans that we've de- developed is an awareness that lets us know when people are attempting to cross the border illegally and, and, and sufficient resources uh, for agents and access to the border to respond and make those arrests. Um, unfortunately, you know, that, that requires an investment that requires leadership uh, in, in the Congress uh, to give us, you know, the, the sufficiency of those resources. And I, I, I tell people all the time, if we, if we secure that border and we assure the American people they can trust uh, in the diagnosis of a secure border, we would be much more generous uh, on the legal immigration side to solve some of the other problems that we have. And my last question to you would be, I know that you still are in contact. You speak to a lot of people. You're still very involved, especially with trying to help Border Patrol agents with the amount of stress that they're under right now. If there was one conversation or a message that you think needs to get back to the elected officials in Washington, D.C., from the men and women who are basically working, you know, on ground zero. What would that message be? Well, it's simple, you know, simple, easier said than done, but they need to do their job. They need to give the agency and the agents the tools that they need to do their job. That means, you know, sufficient resources, but that also means policies and laws um, that allow them to control the border and the policies that don't let people be released in large numbers at the border or get away from agents, you know, never being seen by law enforcement at the border. They, they need to give them those tools. Um, and obviously that starts in the legislature. That Again, it's easier said than done, but that would be my advice to them. Resource this problem and also elaborate on what the policy should be at our border when people come here illegally. That is it for this segment of Immigration Crisis, the fight for the southern border. Like we said, we are heading out to Del Rio, Eagle Pass. We're going to be heading out there on the 20th. We will be there for a couple of days as we wait and see what will happen. Everyone is expecting it to be a huge influx in the number of asylum seekers that will cross into the United States, turn themselves in. So they're not going under the radar. They will turn themselves into Border Patrol agents, and then we will see what will happen. Everything can still happen. We have seen deals made by 
Congress at the last minute. One of those deals that we've been hearing about is where the Republicans are saying we will allow the DACA children, which are the dreamers, the kids that came here when they were young, brought here by their families, we will allow them to stay and give them some sort of a path for residency in exchange for Title 42 to stay in place or for something to be done. Let's see. A deal can still be made. But in the meantime, we will be heading out to the border. That is it for this edition of Immigration Crisis, the fight for the southern border. I'm Jami Virgen with Sinclair Broadcasting in San Antonio, Texas. Until next time.